We are very happy that you've come to join us at Wilshire today, and um, we're particularly happy always to have visitors, and visitors, we hope you'll stay, as has already been mentioned. We have a time of fellowship right after this. Please come and uh, partake of our coffee and carbohydrates fellowship period, and then uh, we'll have a Bible class after that, and we'd love to have you for that too. Uh, Last weekend, we had a lot of our young people out, so it's good to have them back, and it's good to see everybody. We are going to be looking at Matthew chapter 18 today. Jeremy and I are doing this long series uh, going through the Gospel of Matthew. So if you have Bibles or cell phone Bibles, please turn to Matthew chapter 18. That's where we're going to be. If I use the phrase big league, what am I talking about? If I say something's big league, what do I mean by that? Major, huge, large, successful. If I say something's minor league, little league, I'm saying the opposite of that, right? Little except for golf scores, really is not a sign of success or respect in our culture. And so it's really interesting, the major theme around which chapter 18 is structured in the Gospel of Matthew is this word little. It's all about who's little. And it's all about who are, what our duties are to the little ones. Starts out with a question, who's big? Who's big league, Jesus? Who's the big league person in the kingdom of heaven? And, and Jesus answers that as typical Jesus fancy, fashion by bringing a child in front of everybody and says, you want to be big, you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, start by becoming like this child. Because in the kingdom of heaven, the father cares way more about humility than about your arrogance and pride and your striving for position. And then that sets up all the rest of the stuff that happens in this whole chapter. This chapter is actually kind of a unit of teaching where Matthew is is kind of saying, this is the way Jesus used to teach about these topics. And, And so it's meant to be read kind of like that, where each story is supposed to help us understand the other story. So I picked three of the five stories that are here, five sayings that are here to help us understand what Jesus says. And I want to ask you this question, question that's on the title of your study sheets, who is your little one? Who is your little one? Who would Jesus, if he were standing next to you, who would he say, this is the little one that I've given to you. These are the little ones that I have placed in your care? We answer that question, or at least start to meditate on that question, then the stuff Jesus says in chapter 18 comes off the page, travels 2,000 years in time, and lands straight on our hearts. Because Jesus is, is wanting us to be a certain kind of people when we're together. He wants us to live a certain kind of life with each other and then reflect that life out into the world. 
And chapter 18 is part of his project to help us be those people. Each of these little sections kind of has, has an opening and then an illustration. Set up like a sermon. I get that. It's kind of this is the, what this is about and then let me illustrate that. So the first one is verse 6. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble... It would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Who are the little ones? He's just been talking about actual chronological children, so we might be thinking that he means, uh, you know, chronological children, but then he qualifies that. He says, the little ones are these little ones who believe in me. And so what are we supposed to get from that? What are we supposed to understand from that? Here's my best understanding. All of us in Christ's kingdom, if you're a member of Christ's kingdom, all of us in Christ's kingdom have little ones, those we are in a position to protect and take care of. Everybody in this room... Everybody that has taken the name of Christ, everybody that has been baptized, had your sins washed away, and God has uh, put his spirit, his breath, his holy presence in your life, everybody that's in that category, you have little ones relative to you. Anybody you can influence, anybody that looks up to you, you may not even know who all your little ones are. That often happens. There are people who are watching you and who take what you say with extra seriousness. And as you live, they are guiding themselves, partly at least, by how you live and act. Those are your little ones. And Jesus just lays it down for us. He says, if you, on the day of judgment, are found to be the person that caused one of these little ones to stumble, to be dragged down into sin. Well, you would rather have a giant rock wrapped around your neck, thrown into the deepest part of the ocean, than to have to stand in front of God on that day where he brings this little one, the fate of their soul, and lays it to your charge. Jesus says, if you're in my kingdom, then I am immediately giving you responsibilities. Don't I get a warm-up, Jesus? Don't I get a little chance to, to... Nope. Nope, this is the way my kingdom works. If you're in my kingdom, you immediately start having work to do. And here's one of your jobs. You protect the little ones. There are always going to be little ones who are looking up to you from day one in my kingdom. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come. But woe is like extra woe. Woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed uh, or crippled than to have two hands and two feet and to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of Gehenna, the fire of hell. 
Jesus says, do not mess around with this. He's, I think he uses this saying, he's used this in another place, back in Matthew chapter 5, to talk about the danger of the temptations of lust, physical, sexual lust. But here, he is saying, you, the way you handle the people that you have influence over, uh, you need to take very seriously. And if you see that you are starting to damage them by your behaviors, you need to take radical action. He uses the example of physical surgery, but he says that so you know this is serious. Whatever it takes, whatever you need to cut out of your life, whatever you need to sacrifice, it's worth sacrificing to make sure that you are taking care of the people that God has made your little ones, your flock, the people that you're supposed to take care of. That is, that is tough stuff, Jesus. Right from the start as a Christian, I already have to be taking care of people. I'd like people to take care of me. Well, turns out Jesus has got that covered. There are people that are taking care of you. You don't think that they're doing enough, but they are. But what Jesus wants to know is you. The little bit that I've given you, are you going to be faithful with that? Are you going to take care of the ones that God has given you? Then he skips down. Look at verse 10. See that you do not despise or look down on one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heavens always look on the face of my Father in heaven. Always see the face of my Father in heaven. Ooh, that's a good one. See that you do not despise. Think against. Look down on these little ones. Well, I don't look down on anybody, Jesus. I'm, I'm, I treat everybody the same. I don't ignore anybody. Everybody in your life, there's a part of your brain that kind of automatically ranks them with you. You know the people that sort of by the world standards outrank you? And if you're honest, you know the people that you outrank. Those are your little ones, the ones that you outrank. We can hardly turn that off. We are so trained by mass media and by the people that we're around from the time we are born. We cannot turn that off. I walk into a room and one of the things part of my brain is assessing is, who outranks me in this room? Who do I need to kind of make sure I'm okay with? And who do I outrank? Who's going to need to make sure they're okay with me? We can't stop our... We check out people's haircuts. We check out the, how much they spend on their shoes. And, you know, where, what are their clothes worth? And, and we, can't, we can't stop ourselves. Who, who's got the better job? And, and, and who's got more... At my school, you know, who's got more letters after their name? And all of those. And we just rank. We just do it all the stinking time. Life is this big social ranking system. So everybody's got little ones. Everybody's got those. And Jesus says, it's like he's pointing a finger across 2,000 years at each one of us and says, you be sure you do not despise, look down on the little ones. Especially the little ones that believe in me 
I looked up that word despise just to make sure I knew what it was talking about. I found two remarkable usages of it. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 22. You don't have to look at it. Just note it down maybe and you can look at it later. Where Paul is talking about abuses of the Lord's Supper. You know when the church all comes together and we're supposed to celebrate our communion with Jesus and our communion with each other? And in the Corinthian church, the rich people kind of brought their own food, ate ate it, and there were slaves and people who were very financially dependent, and so they couldn't get there till after dark often, till late at night, and often when they would show up, the food was all gone. The Lord's Supper was already eaten, and sometimes I suppose the rich people had gone home. Paul uses the word, this same word, despise to talk about that behavior. You are despising God's church by treating the poor people in your church that way. You're despising. The other place I found where it's used several times, but the other place that I thought was significant is 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul says, don't let people despise. Don't let people look down on you just because you're young, Timothy. There's a real tendency in most cultures, young people are, you know, looked down on. And, uh, and especially in cultures different from ours, young people are just assumed not to know very much and not to have any power, and older people are assumed to have more status and more power and more money and so forth. And Paul says, don't let people despise you. Well, that's, that's still to some extent true in our society. We can despise young people just because they're young. Well, I think that gives you a sense of what Jesus is probably talking about. There are people in your life just because of the natural, well, it's not natural, it's part of the fall, but the ranking system that the world engages in, there are people that you can afford to despise if you choose to. You can look down on them if you want The ranking system sort of gives you the privilege. There are people that, you know, are above you and you got to look up to them. And there are people that are below you by the world's ranking system. Less money, less beauty, you know, less talent, whatever, less social grace even. And, And you can, if you want to, you can look down on them. And here's what the world teaches. This is the world's wisdom about people who are below you in the ranking system. The world says that if you have little ones, you should either use them to get ahead or dump them when they start to hold you back. If you outrank people in your church or if you outrank people in your work or if you outrank people in your family or or whatever, if you have that status, then they are your tools, your job in life. They are resources for you to manipulate and make use of to get the next thing that you want. The next rung up the ladder at work, the next, you know, award or prestige or at least praise from the people around you at church or whatever. Uh, That's what your little ones are for. They are resources for you. At least do this. If the little ones, the people that you outrank socially... If they are holding you back, dump them. You got a husband or a wife that 
that no longer fits with the, the rank that you believe you are attaining in society, sell up. Get rid of that one. Get a better one. If your kids are an embarrassment to you, lock them in the cellar till they're 18 and can move out. Get rid of them. You know, you got friends that used to be friends in high school, but now they're just kind of weak. You know, just dump them. They are holding you, and that's the world's wisdom. And in the world's terms, that, there's no reason not to behave that way. Right? And look what Jesus says to illustrate his point. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep, and one of them wanders away. Notice it says, if he owns a hundred sheep. This is not the way that a hired shepherd would probably do this. A hired shepherd would say, eh, 99 still pretty good. I'm not going to get up out of my bed and go hunting for any stupid sheep that got lost. But if a man owns, this is, these are his sheep. If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go look for that one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier with that one sheep than about the 99 that didn't wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. So here's Jesus, 2,000 years across time, talking to you and me today. King Jesus says that we cannot leave behind or look down on even the least in the kingdom of heaven. We cannot leave behind or look down on even the least in the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, the world is going to grant you little ones. It's going to grant people that you outrank. You're prettier than them. You're more athletic than them. You've got more money than them. You drive a cooler car. There's all kinds of Silly reason the world ranks people. Uh, your hair just looks better on Mondays than theirs. Whatever it is, you're going to have little ones. And the world says, good, use that. And Jesus says, I've given you those to protect, to take care of. And if they get lost, you go get them. You go look for them. You help them. Wait a minute. It's their fault they got. I didn't wander off. They wandered off. It's their fault. Yeah. It was your fault that you fell into sin. I was happy up in heaven, but I came down to get you. So guess what, Christian? If a little one of yours wanders off, you go get him. Ouch. Ouch. But that's what Jesus says. He does not want us to just match our lifestyle, the Christian lifestyle, to whatever the world thinks is smart. And I admit that this way of acting is not necessarily going to make you a super success. This is likely to cost you it costs Jesus, it's likely going to cost you. And he still says it. You've got little ones that you can influence. You've got little ones that God has put so that you have some ability to influence them. If they get lost, go looking for them. 
Now you can't, you, some sheep are just determined to stay lost and you can't get them all back in. And I understand that and Jesus understands that. But you also can't just say, well, it's their fault. They made their bed, let them lie in it. You have a responsibility to imitate your Savior who came from heaven looking for you. You have a responsibility to go looking. I think that's what Jesus is telling us. You read it for yourself and tell me what you think it says, but I believe that's what he's telling us. Then this last one. If you thought these first two were tough, wait till we get to this last one. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive a brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? I think Peter is thinking he's really being spiritual. Seven times, right? The rabbis, we actually have some cases where rabbis ruled on this and said, if you have to forgive your brother for the same thing four times, that's it. Just cut him off. Cut him off. And so Peter, I think, is, thinks he's going above and beyond by saying, seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 70 t- 77 times, or 70 times seven, or however it's translated. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And he began to settlement the man who owed him 10,000 talents, 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And he was not able to pay. And the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I will pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him canceled the debt and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a uh, hundred silver coins. And he grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees and he begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And the other servants saw what had happened. They were outraged and they went and told their master everything that had happened. The master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to do it. Shouldn't you have had mercy on that fellow servant of yours just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Jesus, can't believe you're asking me to do this. Here's another person that fits into your category of little one. Another person that is one of your little ones. Anyone who needs our forgiveness is one of our little ones. They are in a position where you have power over them, at least that power of forgiveness. And here's what Jesus just said with that parable. The way you treat them is how you are inviting God to treat you. Yeah, but you don't know what they did. 
You don't understand how much they hurt me. You don't understand how much they hurt people I love. They do not deserve to be forgiven. Now, if you say they do not deserve to be forgiven, then you're telling God, God, only forgive me the stuff that I deserve to be forgiven for. Right? That's the deal you're saying. That's that's the way I want the universe to work. I only want people to be forgiven for the stuff they deserve to be forgiven for. And this person doesn't deserve it. On the day of judgment, God can say, well, you made your bed. I believe God's intent is to save you by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and to save that person that you're angry at by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. You as a Christian, you know how much grace has been extended to you. You are that person who's been forgiven 10,000 talents. And, And Jesus, your king, says you, knowing what's been forgiven of you, you begin to be a little God, a little forgiving Christ in your situation. You've got people you need to forgive and you start working to forgive them. This is such an interesting thing. Matthew is the royal gospel. It's the gospel that tells us over and over again, Jesus is our king. He's the rightful king. The return of the real king has happened in Jesus Christ. God's king, the anointed king. That's what the book of Matthew is is reminding us. But he is the strangest king. He's just been announced in chapter 16, two chapters before the one we're reading right now. You are the king. We believe it. Your disciples say, you're the king. And already as king, he is saying the opposite of what most kings do. Most kings, once they are recognized as king, begin to gather all the power to themselves. They're jealous of anybody else having power. If there are barons or counts that have power, they start figuring out ways to cut that power out and gather all the power to themselves. And here we see already Jesus is saying, you, you take some power. You, you take some power. You take some power. You take some power. I'm not going to be happy until every one of you, my followers, is also a king and a queen. A king and a queen like I'm being a king. I want you to be God's king and queen too. I want you to rule to take, not a king that just grubs after power and and glories in other people kowtowing. I want you to be a real king, God's kind of king, God's kind of queen that actually takes care of the ones that God has given you to take care of. You may have only been given one or two people to take care of. Take care of those. Protect them from temptation. Go after them if they start wandering away. When they do wrong, find out how you can forgive them and get them back on the right track. Jesus elsewhere says, if you are faithful in a few things, God will give you many things. If you're not faithful in even a few things, 
Why would you expect God to give you many things? We sing about, you know, uh, I want a gold mansion that's silver lined. Why would God give you a gold silver lined mansion? Sounds really cold to me, but anyway. A gold silver lined. Why would he give that to you if you haven't been faithful what he's given you right here, right now, today? He wants you to live like a king. He wants you to live like a queen. That's what he's got planned for you in the age to come. But right now, today, he wants you to start ruling. Jesus wants to share his rule with you. Every place there is a Christian, a little bit of the rule of God is meant to be. A little bit of God's will on earth as it is in heaven is meant to happen. And so you've got little ones, people you can influence, people that you can help. Protect those little ones of yours. Help them stay out of temptation. Go looking for those little ones of yours. Bring them back when they've wandered away. Forgive those little ones of yours. Help them get their life back on track. Jesus Christ is a great king. He is our king. He welcomes in the lost sheep. If you need to come back to him in some way, if you need prayers or help, then come forward in just a minute and ask us for what you need. Or if you are ready to receive baptism, why don't you come forward and tell us your need as we stand and as we sing.